When you go into Appalachia, for a lot of people, that's cross-culture. If you came from Louisville and you go to Pikeville, Kentucky, you've crossed cultures. Pikeville is not like Louisville or Lexington or Winchester, and you have to learn that culture. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. If anything is true of Appalachia, it's that there are people, but they are hard to get to. Your neighbor may not be far away as the crow flies, but when you have to go around a few hills and a mountain or two to get there, everyone seems awfully spread out. On today's Level Paths podcast, we're talking about Appalachia's rural landscape and the effect it has on the church. To do this, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin have invited Dr. Jeff Clark from Wheaton College. Dr. Clark is a former pastor, church planter, executive director, former IMB missionary, and he currently works with the Rural Matters Institute at Wheaton College and the IMB. He is a graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Jeff is unmistakably from East Tennessee, and his upbringing has given him firsthand experience when it comes to rural living and ministry. With more on ministry in the rural context, here's Dr. Matt Chamblin. You know, it's incredible as we've interviewed, talked to so many people that we're seeing what God's doing across Appalachia. And there is a guy who had an incredible ministry in Appalachia and then international ministry. And we've made reconnection with him. And amazingly enough, he's a guy that I knew by name and have known by interaction. And he and I have some of the most dear friends as mutual friends, but we've not really made a lot of connection. And that's Dr. Jeff Clark. Jeff, it's great to talk with you today about rural ministry. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us your background. Give us some ministry experience. Tell us who you are. I grew up in the southwest corner of Appalachia, where uh, Appalachia and the South meet in Tennessee, on the Tennessee-Alabama line. I grew up in a holler on a farm where uh, my dad grew up, his dad grew up, his dad grew up. His dad grew up, and uh, my family have been in that area since 1812. I grew up on the Bethel Clark Farm, next to the Gilbert Clark Farm, behind the Charlie Clark Farm, in front of the Laverne Clark Farm, and then Thalberta Miller. Thalberta was a Clark, but she married a Miller. She got a, a farm. So I grew up in a clan, if you will, up in Happy Holler, and uh Every preconceived picture you have of Appalachia is true of somebody in my family. Somebody has done it, been it. That's just my culture. I went to college. I went to Carson Newman in East Tennessee and then Southern Seminary. Knowing that God called me in the ministry, all my planning was just to pastor a small country church. I never never had any great ambitions, never saw myself as the next Charles Stanley or Adrian Rogers. Uh, I just was going to be happy if I could pastor anything. And uh, while at seminary, I got sidetracked. My wife and I went to northern Michigan and started a church in a small rural town of about 2,500 people, five hours north of Detroit. We did church starting before church starting was popular, you know, before skinny jeans and beards and all that kind of thing. Before they did assessments, if you're breathing and you're willing, they took you. And so we we went to a community that on Saturdays spoke Polish. The radio station was in Polish on Saturdays. So I grew up in ministry 
first church was a rural church, but it was Polish. And I've learned that Polish men and hillbillies were very similar. Uh, they drove four-wheel drives, uh, trucks, had six-pack, a gun rack, listened to country music. So it was a, a good fit. I did a church start in Orlando, Florida. That was my wilderness experience. I did another church start in Middle Tennessee, and then church starting became popular. So I moved to West Virginia to oversee church starting for the state of West Virginia. That's where Matt and I's path overlap. I covered the whole state. I went from Chester all the way down through the coal fields, helping with church starting and helping with evangelism in the state. Then I moved to Montana and oversaw the Montana Southern Baptist Convention. I was the executive director for the convention. My history is uh, start things, organize things, hand them off, and move on. Then my wife and I, our journey took a very curious turn, and we had an opportunity, and we seized it. And for 13 years, we lived in China and Taiwan. Now, I'm one of the very few Appalachian Americans you'll ever meet that speaks Chinese. I took English as a second language in college, much less now learning Chinese. When I hear the story of Jeff Clark, I have to be honest with you. The pieces don't fit. Here coming from (laughs) Hillbilly land of East Tennessee. And then when I think of Southern Seminary, I think of the navy blue blazer and the bow tie. (laughs) uh, Speaking with a hillbilly accent, planting a church in Orlando or in Michigan in Orlando. And then going to China, speaking Chinese. But isn't that incredible? The story of what God has done is incredible. Is there yes. a word for Ewans in Chinese? We've got to hear this live on the air. <laughs> Neiman roughly translates as y'all or Ewans. It depends on which part of Appalachia you're from. But I can remember as a kid, I had to milk cows every morning. And I can remember leaning my head against that cow, milking that cow, saying, God, if you'll get me off this farm, I'll go plumb to China. Well, just be careful what you pray. And now the International Mission Board, along with Wheaton College, have asked me to come back to do research and to do training about rural. I do the world side with IMB, and I do North American side with Wheaton College. That's my story. So you've taken us up till today. Tell us, mm-hmm. what are you doing particularly now with rural ministry in North America? In North America... When Ed Stetzer asked me to take this job at Wheaton College, he told me, he said, I want you to come and I want you to be the rural expert for North America. I want you to be the voice of rural for North America. So I came in 2019 to this job. As I came to this job, there's been a groundswell of books and things about rural. Before 2014 or so, you couldn't find hardly any books. And if you could, they were mostly just stories about how men pastored churches. They weren't written from an academic perspective or from a detached perspective. So when I came to this job, I realized there's already some great experts out there, but each network leader is kind of working in their own area. One of the things I want to do is bring those leaders together. So I'm working to work with leaders who then work with pastors. So it's a two-level approach, working with rural leaders who then have connections with rural pastors. That's been a lot of my job is bringing people together, bringing people like Glenn Damon and Brad Roth, uh, Stephen Whitmer, Carl Vaders, Steve McVeigh, all of these men who have 
major networks, and they cross the range from Acts 29 to Wesleyan Greek, you know, but they all have salvation through Jesus and a belief in the Bible as God's inerrant word. And so we're working with these guys to bring them together, to help them meet one another, to see what they're doing and to work together. We just recently did a survey of these men to find out what are the biggest issues and biggest needs, that kind of thing. So my work right now is pulling these men together. Anytime research is done, it enables it not to be redundant and it allows it to move forward, which has been one of the most difficult things in rural ministry is, as you've said, when you read some of those early books, they were stories about the movement of God in a particular place, but few of those things ever actually drove rural ministry forward and kind of brought forward best practices. So Jeff, what are you seeing currently in rural ministry? When you think about rural ministry, what does it look like now from this perspective, which is really a diverse one, what does rural ministry look like now? That's a couple of different questions in that. The first question is, as we look at pastors, what are we seeing with pastors in this? And right now we're seeing pastors who are dealing with a lot of fatigue. For men who are already overwhelmed, working a 40-hour job, trying to pastor a church, trying to take care of a family, or working a 25-hour job and a 25-hour job, it was hard enough when things were going well. With, with COVID coming, it really became very difficult for them. And so we're seeing a lot of fatigue. We've seen the surveys where it says, you know, half of all pastors are thinking about quitting. However, Lifeway recently did a survey that shows that pastors are not quitting in numbers significantly higher than before the pandemic. Now, we don't know if that means that they're just thinking about it, but they're still hanging in there. Or if it means I've heard a couple of people say that they're trying to sell the ship until they get back to calm seas. And once they're not needed, they're going to shell out. A lot of people think we're going to see a big drop in available pastors. I don't know. That's one that we're still looking to see. I just recently put an article on our Facebook page. It said, we don't have a lack of pastors, trained pastors in the United States. We keep saying there's a shortage of pastors. I keep hearing that colloquially, but This article says we're not seeing a lack of pastors. We're seeing a lack of distribution. Somebody graduates from a Bible college, a seminary. They want to go where the people are or where they can get paid. It's hard to find people who are willing to go back to my mom and dad's church. You know, it's one of those little shotgun brick churches, sanctuary in front and four classrooms in the back and two bathrooms that are finally inside. There's not much glory in that. There's not much financial stability in that. And so the continual finding of pastors is something we've got to rethink, especially in rural settings. We have to start thinking about how do we raise up men from within our churches to pastor. If anything, COVID has shown us the lack of discipleship making. Churches have been good at preaching. They've been good at making church function. But somehow we've not been as good at disciple making, making people who can feed themselves, who can study the Bible, who can lead a Bible study, who can go out and start another church. We need disciple makers who make disciples who make disciples. Am I preaching too much? No, this segues right into what I wanted to ask you next. So talk to us about 
the encouraging and concerning trends in rural ministry. I know you've that was a point of clarity for me because I've seen those surveys that say, you know, we lack pastors and there's a pastoral shortage, but you're saying maybe that's not the case. Maybe the cases were just not distributed well. So what's encouraging about rural ministry and then what's concerning? And in that concerning part, if you could head on address what can rural ministries both local churches and ministries like Tri-State Bible College do to help raise up bivocational leaders? What's encouraging is the visibility that has come in the last five or six years. I'm not a political person, but the 2016 election made an awareness of rural people. There's been a somewhat of a rural renaissance. The 2016 election and then COVID hitting, people moving out of the cities back into the countryside where they have good cell reception and can work an hour, two hours away from a city center. For the last two years, I've been working. uh, If you could see where I'm sitting right now, I'm sitting in a guest bedroom uh, with my little office set in one corner and a a bed that's right behind me. And on the bed, I've got all my books laid out that I'm using. So what that means is there's a big migration right now from the cities to the country. I, I just talked to a guy yesterday who said, you can't buy a house in his little town right now for all the people coming out and buying them. The prices have gone up astronomically as people have moved out. There's good news and bad news with that. The good news is the people are coming. The bad news is they're not like us. They have some expectations and they have a different mindset. In order to reach them, we're going to have to develop a missionary mindset instead of a pastoral mindset. Pastoral is is good. It's godly. It works for maintaining a church. But if you want to reach the other people, you're going to have to learn their language, culture, learn how to communicate with them. But the books coming out in the last few years, the books that are coming out right now are, are excellent. In 2007, right before I left to go overseas, I had all the books about rural. There's four of them, I think. Right now, I've got a, two shelves full of them and more coming out every month. I just keep getting more and more books. I'm a knowledge hoarder, so I, I gather these books up. So that's been good. That makes a visibility. There's an awareness, like the North American Mission Board now has an emphasis on rural that they're doing. The Assemblies of God have an emphasis. The Wesleyans have an emphasis. The Methodists have an emphasis. So we're seeing different denominations and different organizations that are pushing. There's groups that are developing the Acts 29 Rural Collective, Dirt Roads Network. Again, the concerning things that we were talking about present us issues. And the issue that I brought up about pastoral distribution, I'm not sure that we can redistribute seminary-educated pastors out to rural settings. We're going to have to learn how to raise up our rural pastors from within our own churches. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, I went to a little town that had uh, 175 people, I think was the total population of the town. They had a church that ran about 20 people, and uh, they couldn't find a pastor, and they asked me to come and help them figure out what can we do to get a pastor It's one of those situations where, you know, the most that they could pay a pastor was maybe $400 a month. They just didn't have the money. They had a little building that had been given to them by another denomination that closed down. And so I I said, well, let's look at this of what you're doing. I said, is somebody leading a Bible study 
And he said, yes, this man is. I said, great. What if we make this Bible study the worship? He goes, well, I can't preach. I said, well, if you can lead a Bible study, that's all we're asking. You know, besides preaching is a lot easier. It's half as long as a Bible study and nobody gets to interrupt. You know, it doesn't get much easier than that. But I said, if you just lead the Bible study, then let's break up the role of a pastor into pieces that you can use. What if somebody else led the music? You did the preaching. Somebody else in the group does member care. Somebody does administration. Make sure the bulletin's made, the worship service is put together. Somebody does the money. And we broke down all the different roles that we see a pastor do into little pieces that each person could handle as a volunteer. And they're going, well, if we do all this, I don't guess we need a pastor then, do we? I said, well, not your traditional picture of a pastor. You're all going to take on different roles within that. Now, I know that's a far step out, and I've just scared about half the people listening. But in remote rural locations, we're going to have to start thinking outside the box, raising up lay people, making sure then that that man who does the Bible study get some training that will help him to become better and better at that. He doesn't need a PhD, but he does need some help. My mom and dad, their church is a classic example. Like I said, a little country church sits out beside a creek out the head of the holler. They got down to about eight people. The pastor left, got down to about eight people. And they, you know, it looks like the church is going to close. One of the old ladies in the church says, well, my grandson teaches a Sunday school class at First Baptist in town. Maybe he would come out and just be our pastor. We have less people in our church than he has in his Sunday school. Maybe he'd come out here. And so he agreed to do that. Well, he's taken two online Bible classes. He works at the hospital as an assistant. And, um, well, he's grown the church to 90 people. It's just been an amazing story, but he's only had two classes and he's worried about getting a degree. And I told him, I said, the only thing that needs degrees are thermometers. What you need is a calling and some training. And so we're helping him find the training he needs to help him with what he's doing. You know, going from eight to 90 in, in a year, that's pretty good. I'm not sure what training you think you need so badly. You know, you don't need a church growth class. You might need some Bible help, but that's the kind of story we're talking about. How do we help raise up somebody who, who's just a Sunday school teacher who says, I might not be able to do all of a pastor's role, but I can do some of it. A rural Appalachian church may very well not have the budget to hire a full-time pastor. It may even struggle to pay a part-time pastor. But God will raise up who he needs to serve. And without a doubt, there could be a layman in your church as we speak who God is calling to serve as pastor. When we come back, the bivocational and co-vocational pastor. Coming up on March 24th at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, the Appalachian Ministry Conference, fulfilling your ministry in a post-COVID Appalachia. The keynote speaker is Dr. Tom Cheney, author of Church Revitalization in Rural America. This first ever Appalachian Ministry Conference will focus on engaging Christian ministry in Appalachia for God's glory in a world impacted by COVID-19. The day starts at 9 a.m. and includes breakout sessions, lunch, Q&A sessions, 
Appalachian storytelling, and of course you'll hear from keynote speaker Dr. Tom Cheney, Rex Howe from Tri-State Bible College, and Dr. Matt Shamlin from the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Again, the Appalachian Ministry Conference is March 24th at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio. To register, visit tsbc.edu and click on Apply Now or call 740-377-2520. You said something interesting that I've never really heard before, and that was the phrase rural renaissance. It is true that when we think about the election of Donald Trump, it was really middle America, rural America that brought him into office. And when we think about that from the missionary mindset, we've always focused on the cultural centers, on the centers where the most people are. But it's encouraging to hear a renewed focus on rural America. It's not been all that yes. long ago, a couple hundred years or more. We saw in America an emphasis on rural ministry where the Methodists did exactly what you're talking about, raising up young men from among their congregation, giving them a charge, multiple churches, and a responsibility to pastor those churches, and then slowly educated those churches. We know that rural America, if it's going to be reached with the gospel, it's going to be reached with bivocational men. And so what are some practices that you're seeing that's actually helping do that? Well, I have a rising number of men who have decided to be intentionally co-vocational. And the difference between bivocational and co-vocational, in my mind, bivocational is you're doing it until you can get the church big enough to pay you. Co-vocational is you're intentional about having another job that puts you in the community especially if you're moving into a community. Being co-vocational allows you to meet people in the community, to know people outside the church, and you want to keep that job. You're not trying to work your way out of that job into a full-time pastoral position. Again, you may be in a town of 175 where full-time is not a possibility. And I'm seeing more and more men who are taking a co-vocational route and that's an encouraging thing to me. I'm also seeing people who are moving intentionally to rural areas, some going back to where they're from, and some who are literally going cross-culturally. One of my good friends, Steve McVeigh, he runs a dirt roads network. He came from a large city in Michigan and went to Lamont, Kansas, which had 78 people. He knew nothing about ranch life, farm life. He tells some very funny stories about when he first landed about, you know, making cultural faux pas, if you will. But the people say, well, he doesn't know nothing about farming, but he's trying to learn. Again, when you go into Appalachia, for a lot of people, that's cross-culture. If you came from Louisville and you go to Pikeville, Kentucky, you've crossed cultures. Pikeville is not like Louisville or Lexington or Winchester. It's not. It's a different culture, and you have to learn that culture. And we're seeing men who are intentionally going back across those cultures, men who are going back to the culture where they're raised, intentionally going back to those places. I meet with a guy who just moved back to a small town here in northern Virginia on purpose 
he could have gone to a larger, bigger, more prestigious church, but he wanted a slower pace of life for his family. He wanted to be in a church that was an organism rather than an organization. So we're beginning to see some of that, and we're beginning to see people take on this discipleship seriously of raising up people within their church to lead, to be able to hand people off. In a missional mindset, you're raising kingdom workers, not church workers. And so in that mission mindset, we're seeing a lot of people who are beginning to raise up kingdom workers, willing to give them away, realizing that God will honor your church for doing that. So those are some things that I'm seeing right now that that are very encouraging to me in the rural setting. Take us down this road for a minute, Jeff. One thing that Matt and I have just started talking about, and we'll be talking about this at our Appalachian Ministry Conference in March. Talk to us a little bit about next generation Appalachians or next generation rural youth. What are they like? What's their relationship with Christianity like, with the church like? Well, in particular, they're not like previous generations. You an example. The farm that I grew up on, my dad grew up when my dad grew up on that farm, he went to town once a month and he had to walk the seven miles into town. They didn't have a car. He could ride a horse sometimes, but usually he walked. Now I went once a day, and my dad now goes twice a day into town. The mobility has changed. My dad grew up in isolation. The Appalachian language that has held for 200 years back in the mountains, Ewans and uh, a poke, those words that come from isolation are being lost because Appalachian kids today are not isolated. They can see today what's going on with the kids in New York City. They're up with whatever the next wave is in music. I'm pure Appalachian. I still listen to bluegrass. But whatever the newest thing is, they can see it immediately on their computer screen. Before, the church was the only entertainment in town. So you went to youth group because there was nothing else going on. Now there's so much more with basketball and baseball and football, the ability to to literally Zoom to any part of the world and talk with your counterpart in Japan or in Greece or wherever has made the dynamic much different for churches today. However, the one thing that they're still hungry for, hungrier, I think, than even when I was going, is a community. When we moved to the church there in Scott Depot, my wife took over the youth group. There were six kids in the youth group. When we left in a month, we had about 300 kids come through the program. It was just a tremendously large response. And we never once went to play laser tag, which was a big thing at that time. We only took kids to do ministry. What we found was the kids then, and I think the kids now, are hungry for community. Although they know more people through the computer, they're still more isolated than ever. The loneliness that comes with that has been overwhelming. And especially in a rural area, like when I was growing up, I was only half a mile from the nearest person my age. But that is pretty close in our area. In order for us to get up a football game, we had to get up enough people from, you know, a seven mile radius on Sunday afternoons. Well, take that with the isolation that comes with sitting in front of a computer screen has made it very difficult in rural settings. I'm finding that churches that 
focus on building community within these kids. And again, that discipling process and disciple making is not a program at this point. This is a discipling that comes with life on life, taking a, a young man with you when you go to make visits, putting three or four in your car to go visit other teenagers. We had more fun going to and from things than actually attending them sometimes. I had a white van that was a company car. When I turned it in, all four speakers were completely blown. Back in the 90s, we, we played audio adrenaline until it blew the speakers. Can you just get this picture? Here you've got Jeff Clark driving around a white van. He's listening privately to bluegrass playing Amen. his banjo. I wanted to point that out. Jeff does not yes, just sir. listen to bluegrass. This man plays the banjo, okay? From Southern Seminary, so I, listen, if I ever see Jeff Clark with a bow tie on speaking Chinese, playing a banjo, it'll be an international mission conference in one step, right? There, there we are. Come all thanks to all men so that by all means, I might win some. Amen. Amen. Well, you can see why this guy is loved. He let slip his secret, and that is his precious wife, Melva. She is the secret behind all of this. But it's encouraging and reminding. It's so helpful to just point out that need for community. I remember going to my grandparents' house, Walbach, West Virginia, picking up Mm -hmm. the telephone as a kid and hearing people on the phone already (laughs) because they had a party line. Party line, yeah. And it wasn't that they didn't have cable. It was that cable was not available in most of West Virginia. They didn't just have it. They couldn't have got it if they wanted it on a functioning farm, why in heaven's name, who has time to sit around and watch TV? But we mm-hmm. did make time, I think, on a Saturday night to mm-hmm. watch Hee Haw. Hee Haw came on, <laughs> on Saturday I thought it was a documentary. <laughs> it, it may have been in certain cases. But, you know, to hear the change in dynamic, I know personally, and I think all of us could give testimony to this, Appalachia has changed more in the past 20 years than it did in the previous 200. When the world came to Appalachia, whether it be through the internet or television, it did change. And one of the toughest things to deal with is Appalachians have always, always had a sense of not being good enough. And when the world came to Appalachia, it seemed as though it just magnified that. But it's so encouraging to hear a refocus. I love that phrase. I'm going to, Jeff, I'm going to steal that phrase, rural renaissance. I have notes here about much of what you've said that I want to dig into this in a deeper way. And so, Jeff, we could talk for hours on this. What would be a final word that you have to those who are ministering in a rural place? I'll give you a Chinese word. The word is jiao, jiao. Literally, it means pour oil on it. The best translation of that would be give it the gas. This is the only cheer you hear in Chinese sports. If you listen to the Olympics right now, you'll hear this. Jiao, jiao. It means keep going. Give it the gas. Don't stop. You're doing great. Go, go, go. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, you'll reap a harvest of righteousness if you faint not. The thing about ministry is it's not about your glory, your honor. It's about God's glory and his honor. And we don't go to where the people are. We go to where God calls us. 
And sometimes that's in the highways. Sometimes that's in the byways. But we're called to be faithful where we are. In the hillbilly phrase, you, you bloom where you're planted. God has planted you in an out-of-the-way place. You may be upset about why why are all your talents being wasted out here in Pig's Knuckle, uh, West Virginia. Well, the thing is, you're not wasted if you're doing what God has called you to do. So, chayo, chayo. Amen. Amen. In hope, rejoicing, in suffering, enduring, in prayer, persisting, brothers. That's Romans 12 for us. That's a good word. Jayo, give it the gas. I love that. That's going to enter the repertoire of preaching terms for sure. For sure. <laughs> Great. Jayo. Well, I want to I want to point out just a few things. We want to mention the conference coming up on March 24th, Appalachian Ministry Conference. We're going to be having these kinds of conversations all day long. We really want you to come out and spend the day with us at Tri-State Bible College. You can register at tsbc.edu. Just click on apply now, and that'll take you to the menu where you select the conference. We want to highlight that if you're a co-vocational or bivocational pastor, we have 10 customizable certificates. If you just need a little bit of training in the Bible or a little bit of theology or a little bit of just how do I run a church, we have just one-year programs that'll get you what you need. Like Jeff said, you're not a thermometer, you're a pastor. Let's just meet you where you are. So we have those things there. Jeff, thank you so much for your time, brother. Oh, absolutely enjoyed it. Anytime I can help, just please call on me. A Rural Renaissance, raising up kingdom workers as opposed to church workers, building community. Dr. Jeff Clark has barely taken the lid off the dynamics and strategy involved in rural Appalachian ministry. Like Dr. Matt said, this conversation could have continued for another few hours. So there is much more to be learned. And if you'd like to continue this conversation, reach out to Rex Howe at Tri-State Bible College and Dr. Matt Shamblin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute, rex.howe at tsbc.edu and matt.shamblin at tsbc.edu. And you can also learn more at the Appalachian Ministry Conference coming up at Tri-State Bible College in just a few days. It's Thursday, March 24th. For more details, call 740-377-2520 or visit tsbc.edu. Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute. 